Ibokah Tov. Today's daf is uh, today's daf is Nun Dalid. We pick up um, on uh, we pick up on Nun Gimel Bet on the two dots, top of Nun Gimel Bet, a little behind. Okay, and we're dealing with this question about whether Hezek Kenunik or Shmei Hezek. The mission said when there's damage that is not visible, which can exist in a halachic world because it's worth less because of its halachic status, but you can't see it. Um, you pay if you're intentional, maybe or not if you're shogeg. And the question is, the Gemara is very obviously inclined from the initial opening to assume that fundamentally you're exempt because it's not visible and that's just a, you know, and halacha looks at an act of damage and not just causing somebody a loss. And if it's not visible, that would not be considered an act of damage, or the uh, and um, and therefore you'd be exempt. But in order to not uh, allow people this uh, loophole that they can go ahead and willfully damage somebody else's property, they said that if you're intentional, you have to pay. So the tikkun olam is to make it obligated in the case of mazid. The other approach, that of chizkia, is to say fundamentally you're obligated, but they got you off the hook when you're shogeg, so you would inform the person. So the gemara tried to bring proofs in both directions, um, and um, um, the uh, weight of all the evidence so far has been that it's low shmei hezek. It's not considered to be damages. Um, let's take a look now. Nun gimel bet, top of the page, about uh, five lines from the top, the two dots. Masiv Rav Papa, Rav Papa asked, Somebody steals a coin, and then the coin has been uh, has uh, become invalid. Like you stole, I don't know, Confederate money right before the end of the Civil War. Okay, or somehow the government has announced, you know, that those, that those coins are no longer valid. So it's not worth anything. Or Truma, and it became Tameh, which is our case. Or Chometz, and it became and Pesach passed over, so it's worthless. Okay, but this is the object that you stole. And more Omerlo, you can say to the person you stole from him you stole from look this is yours I'm returning it you know it's like that old joke that these not exactly but these guys are on a subway and the guy comes in and says like okay like you know comes with a gun like everybody give me your wallet so guy turns to his friend hey John you know that 20 bucks I owe you like <laughs> so it's like oh you know well here take your object back it's now worthless so anyway um, but the point is is that this is possible because when you steal your primary obligation before compensation is to return the object that you stole. So therefore, since you are returning the object, even though its market value is now worthless, you have done your obligation of returning the object. That's the, that's the phrase of However, if the object is not just worthless or worthless, but actually is damaged, right? If you, rare, if you stole a car and then you uh, got in an accident, you can't say because you're not returning me the object in the state in which you stole it. So that has to do with it's in the same physical state so you can say yes those three cases are actually not the same because the, the coin uh, has still the precious money value. Valid is truly worthless right the truma that's tame actually has some use right because it can be burned. Right. And the, uh, right. So it's got... It's a rabbinic decree. Um, yes, that's a good point. So all, that's a good point. So none of them are, tr- are fully worthless. That is true. Well, the, the coin isn't worthless, no, because it has pr- it's precious metal. Oh, that's for you. It's, we're not talking about paper money. Anyway, so, okay, that's an interesting point. Anyway, so the Gemara says, so let's see how this is relevant. So the Gemara says like this. Um, the E, Amart, as a Kenunikr Shmei Hezek, if you say doing a damage, if it's not visible, you, you're liable. Um, um, so, hi, Gazan, who, Mamona, 
this guy is a thief and he has to um, and he has to pay full compensation because this object you, you, you wouldn't be able to return this object in this state so that's a challenge now this is a very bizarre as Tosus points out because until now all the evidence had been from cases about about halachas about damages this is not a halacha of damages this is a halacha about a goslin and whether you can return the object so even if I actually did something actively to the object to now make it worth less and it's a Hezekinu Nicker maybe I have to pay in Hilchos Mazik but who says that in laws of Goslin where the primary obligation is to return the object I can't say the object is physically in the same state so Tosa says from the fact that the Gemara is comparing these two different areas of Halacha it shows you that the question of Hezekinu Nicker is not a local question in laws of Mazik is a Mazik Chayev if the damage is invisible it's really has to be a more abstract question that can transcend these two categories. What would that more abstract question be? Do you think that when something is worth less money, but it's not a physical change, do we consider that to be nikar? Do we consider that to be that the object is different? So if the question isn't, are you chayv as a mazik when it's not visible? I, I, you know, are you then, that's a very local question to mazik. If the question is more global, when something is worthless, right, imagine, here's an example, now maybe it's not the exact same, imagine Confederate money after the Civil War. Is that, well, it's just not nikar the damage. What do you mean it's not nikar? Everybody looks at them and looks, and it's, and it's like to- paper, it's like toy money. It's garbage. Everybody sees that it's garbage. Okay? So what defines something as being nikar? Now that's a little different because everybody sees by the context, right? If I see truma, that's tame, there's nothing for me to be aware. I have to know from some outside information about what happened to this. But anyway, Batosu says that's the question. The question is, is when it's, when it's not physical, could we still consider it to be that the object is different because it's worth less is the object different if you want to say maybe that's a better way not that it's in the car but is it different so if it's different I would have to pay as a mazik and if it's different I wouldn't be able to say the fact that a gazan can say proves that we don't consider the object different and therefore you're not going to pay as a mazik okay so that's a very strange again that the Gemara brings a proof from the laws of gazlin so Tosu says what that really shows is the question isn't just a local question about mazik it's a question of when it's worth less do we consider it to be a different type of an object a changed object and the answer from this is we don't and therefore the Gemara says we should assume that a, gaz, a mazik does not have to pay okay so that's at least how we have proven it but now we're going to say maybe it's really a debate of Tanayim the Gemara says Lema Kitanai let's see if this is a debate of Tanayim of Hezek Shenu Nikar um so if again these are all the cases in the Mishnah you cause Tuma to Truma let's say you mix up Truma and Chulin or you pour Yain so this is not an opinion quoted in the Mishnah this is Yechayev even by Shogeg Rabbi Yehuda Omer Rabbi Yehuda who is apparently who is the author of our Mishnah um, says you know you're exempt by Shogeg Yechayev in the case of Mezid that's our Mishnah so my love I can so let's understand what is the debate about whether you should be pay when you're shogig or not. Maybe it's this debate. Um, 
Pesach. One says fundamentally you're exempt, and if fundamentally you're exempt, the only case we'll make you pay is Mazid, right? Because then we have to stop willful damaging, but fundamentally you're exempt. Umar Sava and Rebbe Mayer, who says even a Shogig pays, will be of the opinion of. I'm, uh, I'm sorry, did I skip it? I'm sorry, I, I started in the wrong way. Umar Sava, Rebbe Mayer holds, has a chain of Nikashmei Hezek, that is considered to be real damages, and since it's real damages, you would pay even in a case of Shogig. Umar Sava and Rebbe Huda holds, Loshmei Hezek, it's not real damages, and therefore you fundamentally should be exempt in both cases, but we'll have to make a Mazik pay. Okay, so if you're going to pay whether Shogig or Mazid, presumably that's because in principle you fundamentally are obligated, so we're not going to make any distinctions. If you're only paying in a case of Mazid, it would be because fundamentally you are exempt. Okay, so that seems to be a pretty reasonable explanation. So, Amr no, not necessarily. We could say everybody says it doesn't constitute damages. And again, that's clearly where all the evidence is pointing towards. The Halcha, so if that's true, if you're fundamentally exempt, why would Rebbe Meir make you pay in the case of Shogeg? The Halcha, the concept of Shogeg got to Mezid, the debate is, if we're going to make a Mezid pay, do we have to make a Shogeg pay as well? Okay, now why should we do that? Well, I mean, one reason could just be like, you know, like low plug, like uh, to make it seem like it's real, you know, more a matter of law, so we're just going to do it across the board, and it feels like, and becomes like it's communicated as a more weightier type of a thing. But the other reason is, is because if we don't, how can you always prove whether a guy is Shogeg or Mazid, right? Then we're going to always have to write, and somebody who was Mazid could make it look like he was Shogeg. Whoops! So anyway, so it's so easier to just say everybody has to pay, okay? And look, let's face it, anyway, the guy, even the guy who's Shogeg, um, you know, he did cause damage to this other person, and maybe you have to be a little bit, you, fi- you maybe have to fine him as well, because uh, he should have been less negligent. So that's Rebbe Mayer's approach. Rebbe Mayer's approach is, we're going to make everybody pay to Shogeg and Mazid, to Mars, our country, Shogay got to Mazid. Rebbe Mayer says, yeah, in principle, you're exempt in both cases. You know, you shouldn't pay at all. But since we're going to make the Mazid pay, we're also going to make the Shogay pay. But all of that is a knaf. Mars, our low country, Shogay got to Mazid. Nope. They didn't, they didn't go, you know, they didn't expand it. They only made the Mazid pay, not the Shogay. But everybody agrees it's a knaf. The question is how narrow or how broad. Okay. So now we have a debate of Rebbe Mayer and Rebbe Huda, where Rebbe Mayer makes a knaf. Uh, across the board, Shogeg and Mazid, and Rebbe Yehuda just makes it in the case of Mazid. So now what we're going to look at for most of the remainder of the daf is to try to line up all the debates of Rebbe Meir and Rebbe Yehuda in all different cases in Shas about whether we find a person in a case of Shogeg, uh, in a case of Mazid or even in a case of Shogeg. And the problem is that it's not going to like make sense. They're going to seem to switch sides regularly, whether we are conace a case of, whether we find in the case of Shogeg or not. And the Gemara is going to try to make some order and some sense of their different positions. So let's take a look. So the message is like this. Verami where are we? Verami uh, Rebbe Meir Rebbe Meir Rebbe Rebbe Huda We're going to show a brayta that shows that Rebbe Meir and Rebbe Huda both seem to switch sides. Okay, Detanya, we turn the brayta. Hamivasha b'Shabbos. Somebody cooks on Shabbos. Can you eat from the food? So b'Shogeg Yochal. If he did it accidentally, he can eat from it. All right. So therefore, there's no knas by Shogeg. We didn't find him. B'Nezid, if he did it willfully, lo Yochal. He can't eat. Tivre Rebbe Meir. So this has Rebbe Meir saying, you can't. You are only going to find the Mazid, not the Shogeg, right? The exact opposite of what he said before. I mean, not the opposite, but you know what I mean? He, he, in terms of the Shogeg, it's the opposite position. He's only going to, he's not going to find the Shogeg. Rebbe Yehuda Omer, and now we're going to find that Rebbe Yehuda is going to find the guy who's Shogeg. Rebbe Yehuda Omer, B'Shogeg, Yochel Shabbos. If you did it unintentionally, you can't eat on Shabbos itself. You can eat on Motzei Shabbos, but you can't benefit from it on Shabbos itself. The Mazid, if you did it willfully, Lo Yochel Olamis. 
you can never eat forever. Now, it's, so he's not so uh, he's not finding the shogig to the same extent as the mazid, but nevertheless, he is uh, 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 he is finding the shogig guy. Mm-hmm. So there they switch sides, and then we have Rabbi Yochanan Sandler Omer. Rabbi Yochanan the Sandler says the the shoemaker the shogig yochel shabbos. Okay, if it was accidental, you can eat after shabbos. Lachem lo other people can eat the food after shabbos if it's a shogig. Okay, but you can't because you presumably cannot be the beneficiary of your own Chil Shabbos and bemaze it if you did it willfully nobody can eat from it not you and not anybody else forever okay and this the Gemara says is, a, is he's coming from a, another Gemara says he's coming from a Deoraita perspective that he thinks that on, from the Torah perspective if you violate Shabbat willfully that that makes any product of it fundamentally forbidden it's not a fine it's like the product of a of, of Chil Shabbat by nature has to be off limits okay but that's what the only that's not our interest right now anyway here you see right that Rebbe Mayer and it might be helpful to start to make a chart okay because you basically have right you've got Rebbe Mayer and Rebbe Yehuda and you're going to have all these different cases right so you're going to have the case of um, right you're going to have the case of so we had the case about uh, about Hezek She'ino Nikar Okay, so this is whether you find the case of Shogeg. So Rabbi Meir, yes, did a Shogeg, and Rabbi Huda did not do a Shogeg, right? Mm-hmm. This is all about the Shogeg. And then we have Shabbat, Chilul Shabbat, where Rabbi Meir did not find the Shogeg, and Rabbi Huda did find the guy who was a Shogeg. Okay, so they're switching sides. Okay, it's going to keep on going, all the, uh, all, the, all, all, all the switching sides. So let's take a look. So Gemara says... So they're switching their positions. Rebbe Meir on himself is not a problem. Why not? So if you take a look, Rebbe Meir, this is a, a Doraita violation. Damaging somebody's property, it is a Doraita violation. You can't damage somebody's property, but technically it wasn't really damaged. Okay? So, I did, so therefore, I didn't technically do a Torah violation in the act. So since there here was a Torah violation, now you should say, one minute, if it's a Torah violation, you should be stricter. You should be more willing to punish. No, but the point is, if it's a Torah violation, then people are going to just be much more careful anyway. But I don't need, I don't need a rabbi, the rabbis to find this is going to happen a lot less frequently. This is Doraita. This is Dorabanan. People are going to, there's a much more of a slippery slope. People are not going to be, people are going to be more lax. Here I'm going to have to make the fine. I'm going to be, have to be stricter by Dorabanans. Okay? So the Gemara says, what do you mean? One of the cases in the mission was pouring wine to Avodah Zarah. That's a Torah violation. So the Gemara says, no. Okay, no, that's because it's like the flip. If you did something so terrible that you were Menasech to Avodah Zarah, then, I mean, Chil Shabbos is also pretty darn bad. Okay, but Avodah Zarah is like the worst. So in that case, we are going to find you, okay? But basically, the basic answer is, other than saying that Avodah Zarah is so terrible, the basic answer is, if it's worse, we're not going to find you. If it's not as bad, that's more of a need for finding you. Okay, let's take a look. That's Rebbe Meir. And now we're going to say the exact opposite for Rebbe Yehuda. Like, which is the thing that, for you, is, you know, is the important uh, factor for, for finding or not finding might be the reverse based on, you know, for one person than for the other. Okay, so Rebbe Yehuda, Rebbe Yehuda, Lokasha. And Rebbe Yehuda is not a problem. Kilo Khanis, Bidurabanan, Bidurait the Khanis, the exact reverse. 
He doesn't fine you by a rabbinic because what you did wasn't so bad. And But if you violated Shabbat, he is going to fine you. That's pretty bad, okay? So whether you're more strict or less strict by a biblical violation, that's the reverse. So the Gemara says, one minute, so I'm not safe to right to Vlokanis. When he mean it, but here you had you also had pouring wine to Avodah That's a biblical, that's a very weighty biblical obligation. So why isn't he fining you? So the same reason, but now again reversed. No, because Avodah is so terrible that I don't have to find people because they're not going to do it anyway. Okay, so it's a very ironic, right? So the things that are worse, is that more of a reason to find or more of a reason not to find? But we're using that as explaining how they're reversing their positions. Oh, yes. worshiping Avodah your Chai is Mika Yeah. Yeah, which is the same as... Yeah, but it's more theologically severe. Okay, so the Gemara says like this. Now, we're not done though. We're going to have to have more things to line up. The Rami, the Rebbe Meir, the Rebbe Meir, but you're right, one minute. You're telling me that Rebbe Meir here, right? So now we're saying that the key is, the, the, and the explanation is that this is Durabanan fundamentally and this is Doraita and that's where, how they're debating so now so Rabbi Meir for a Doraita you're saying does not sign by a case of Shogeg okay one minute I'm going to show you in the case of Doraita he does sign in a case of Shogeg Titani we turn to Brisa Hanoteh Shabbat if you plant on Shabbat, if it's Shogeg, you don't have to uproot it. If it's on Mezid, you have to uproot it. So, so far, that's exactly consistent with Rebbe Meir. He does not sign, in the case of Shogeg, by a Doraita. Um, Even in case of a Shogeg, you have to uproot it. So there is a case that Rebbe Meir is strict by a Doraita, by Shogeg. No, 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 no. He says, by Shviyat, you don't have to uproot it on Shogeg. But on Shabbos, by Shogeg, you do have to uproot it. So again, they're reversing themselves. Okay, so it's all getting very confusing. But let's basically, if you first focus on the Doraita, right, they're consistent. Because Rabbi Meir said, on Shabbos, Right, if you look at it, Rabbi Meir says on Shabbos you don't have to uproot it in the case of Shogeg. which is what Rabbi Meir says by Shabbos, and Rabbi Huda says Okay, so they're consistent, right, with what they say by Shabbat. Okay, but 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 now they have reversed themselves by Shvius, and you can't say that the issue is Doraita because Shvius is presumed to be also Doraita. Now it's interesting because you could have said Shvius nowadays is Durabanan. Okay, and it's funny that the Gemara doesn't go there. But they said exactly what they've been saying by Shabbat, okay? That Rabbi Meir doesn't find Shogeg and Rabbi Yehuda does. But by Shemitah, they reverse themselves. So why are they reversing themselves by Shemitah? So the Gemara says... Um, the Gemara says, why are you showing this as a contradiction from one Rebbe Mayor in one case to another Rebbe Mayor? The question emerges from this very bright itself. Shabbos and Shemitah are both a Doraita. Why did you do it? Why by Shabbos do they hold one way and by Shemitah they hold the mirror opposite? If you want to know why Rebbe Mayor is strict by Shemitah, even though it's a Doraita, here's the reason. I'm a Rebbe Mayor. We got a bright. He explains himself. Why am I saying by Shabbos by Shogeg I'm not going to find the guy. But by Shemitah I'm going to make him uprooted even by a case of Shogeg. Because we count our years based on Shemitah and we don't count things based on Shabbos. What does that mean? It means that 
here I am, I see you eating um, orla, this is the example Rashi has. I see you eating from a tree. I know you planted a few years ago, okay? So if you planted only a few years ago, it must be that it's out of the orla period. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do the math in my head, right? It's like, unfortunately, some people do when somebody has a baby pretty soon after a wedding. They do the math <laughs> in their head. So I'm going to do the math in my head, and I'm doing the math in my head, and I'm saying like, oh, wait a minute. That means that it was planted on Shemitah. If this year is already the fourth year, right, then I know that it must have been planted on Shemitah. So that must mean that it's much to plant on Shemitah, right? So therefore, it's going to be obvious to everybody that this was planted on Shemitah because they'll see you eating from it four years, you know, four years later. So in hindsight, it'll be obvious to everybody it was planted on Shemitah. So that will be like a violation of the sanctity of Shemitah, you know, that we let, we let it happen and we let it be a public matter and, we don't, and, and so on. So therefore, we're going to force you to uproot it. Okay, but by Shabbos, how are people going to know whether you planted it on a Shabbos or on a weekday, right? How is that going to be known to anyone? So we don't have to force you to uproot it. So I'm going to be more machmir by Shemitah because I just don't want it to be visible to people that Shemitah was violated. That's why. It's not so much of a fine. Dover Achsher, here's another explanation. Okay, which is maybe a more straightforward in terms of the, along the lines of what we've been talking about before. Why is Rebbe Meir more lenient and does not find in the case of a deal right because the Torah restriction does enough to, 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 to control the behavior but by Shemitah there was a lot of laxity around Shemitah observance and even though it was a Doraita, because there was laxity around it, there was a particular need to do it by Shemitah. Okay? So that's why he did it by Shemitah. Okay? My um, why do you need another reason? Here's what I'm saying. Sometimes by Shabbos, people will do the math and figure out it was planted on Shabbos. How is it? Because if something was planted 30 days before the beginning of a new year, of a new, like, you know, of a Shemitah year or anyway of a new year then that counts like it already has one year to its, uh, to its growth right in terms of the Orla right it's not like it's not, it's not a year measured on 36, 365 or 354 days from the day it's planted it goes by what year in the cycle it was planted so somebody planted a month before the end of the year and that day was Shabbos so I'm going to do the math and I'm going to say wait 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 how are you eating now? it's only year 4 oh it's, it's only year 3 oh it's year 4 because you planted it right before the end of the year oh one minute that would have been Shabbos, okay? So sometimes you'll do that math. Only if you would have planted on Shabbos would you have gotten in the 30 days before the end of the year. And if not, not. So because there's a concern that people will, that also will be, you know, that doesn't fully explain the difference between Shemitah and Shabbos. So Tashmant, the real difference is Okay, so that the people are more lax by Shemitah. So because they're more lax, we have to therefore make a knaf. So Rebbe Meir, in his case of Jerabanan, for Rebbe Meir, when he makes a fine, what we're going to add to this is a case of Shemitah, which even though it is Doraita, but it's a Doraita that people are lax in. And since they're lax in a Doraita, it's like a Jerabanan, and he's going to make a fine in the case of Shogek. Okay, now we have to work out Rebbe Yehuda, because Rebbe Yehuda also reverses his position. But the verse says, Okay, Rebbe Yehuda, Rebbe Yehuda, Lokash. And how is Rebbe Yehuda not, not, not a problem? Rebbe Yehuda normally does do it by a shogeg, by Shabbos, but by Shemitah, he doesn't find by shogeg. Why, does he, why is Shemitah different? So the Gemara says, No, in Rebbe Yehuda's place, Shvius was so strict 
He didn't need to make the fine by case of Shogeg. How do we know it was so strict? A certain said to his friend, his fellow, dear Bardayarta, which basically means convert the son of a convert, which is not so nice. You're not supposed to, like, you know, whatever, whatever, the Onos Dvarim, I don't know. Anyway, um, so he, anyway, he called him a name. Okay, he called him something in order to put him down. So he said back to him, yeah, what, you think you're so special because you were born Jew? I don't eat Shemitah food like you do, so you know, you're a big deal. Like, I'm more observant than you are. So anyway, uh, okay, so <laughs> this is fascinating. But now, I have to tell you, I don't begin to understand this Gemara. So because he was pointing out and calling the guy on the fact that he ate Shemitah food, that proves that Shvius is very chamor. If anything, you prove that Shvius is calm, that people are violating it. Oh, but you're called out on it. Okay. Anyway, I don't have, I don't see anywhere from this story that we see that Shvius is so chamor. Number one. Number two. Let's not forget that Reb Yehuda, by Dilraita, by something like Shabbos. Right? Even something like Shabbos, which we assume is not only Doraita, but very weighty, he feels a need to make a fine. Right? Mm-hmm. So I don't get why, if you need to make a fine by Shogate, by Shabbos, why you don't have to do it by Shvius. I, really, I, I don't really understand the Gemara's answer. Okay, but anyway, we're going to move on. Um, okay, Tashma. Let's have another case. Um, um, now, the halacha is, is that if you eat truma, if you eat a truma of a kohen, then you're like a mazik, and you just pay out how much it was caused, cost. But if you eat a peshogeg accidentally, it's a very strange halacha, which is what you do is, you pay the guy back in food, and that food, when you pay him back, becomes truma in that act of paying back. There's actually a debate in the Gemara, which is, if I stole a bushel from you, and now it's Bishogeg, not so, I ate a bushel of yours, Bishogeg, do I pay you back a bushel or in food, or do I pay you back its value in food? Like you go, how much do you sort of, you know, really, you know, still look at it in terms of dollars and cents, since now we're focusing also on the object, and the object is becoming truma. But anyway, so here are the cases that you ate trumatmea. Now, you ate trumatmea, so its actual value is like is, is less because it's trumatmea. It doesn't have that much value. But nevertheless, I mean, we, you have to pay back food and you're, we're te- we want you to pay back tahor food because give, then it'll become truma tahor for the Kohen. It'll be, as long as you're paying back, you might as well pay back tahor food. You, you're paying back tahor chulin, not truma. But in the act of paying it back to the Kohen, it becomes truma. So you might as well pay him back tahor one so he'll, get, he'll be better off. Now, if you're paying back the same quantity, he actually makes a boat, you know, he actually gets a fight, you know, like he gets more money back than he lost. Even if you're paying him back equal to the value, nevertheless, people would rather have less truma tahora than more truma tmeya. So we're going to ask you to pay back tahor food. You're paying back tahor chulin, and it's going to become truma tahora, even though what you ate was truma tmeya. Uh, is that clear? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Okay, so, achot truma tmeya, you ate truma tmeya, mishalim chulin tahorin. You should pay back tahor chulin. Shilim chulin tmeim, if the dieved, you gave back tamei chulin, and then in the process of paying back, it became truma tmeya, so effectively you're giving back the exact same thing that you, to- that you ate. Okay? So, mahu, what's the halacha? 
Amar Sumchus Mishum Rabbi Meir, Beshogeg, if you accidentally gave back Kulin Tamei and you didn't realize it was Tamei, you didn't realize you weren't supposed to give back Tamei, Tashum of Tashlumim. It's good, you paid back and we're done. Bemezid, if you knew you weren't supposed to and you did it anyway, ain't Tashum of Tashlumim, it doesn't count. And presumably you have to give it back, give back Kulin Tahorin. So it's a case of finding the guy who did it Bemezid. Okay, you did something wrong, Bemezid, you didn't fully pay him back something that would have been as good for his compensation or whatever. We're going to make you pay. Um, we're going to. We're not. We're not going to let that count. Okay. The Chachamim. I mean, the Chachamim say Echazeh Vechazeh Tashlumav Tashlumim. The Chozer Meshaleim Chulin Tahorin. Okay. In either case, it's good. Meaning, it becomes truma. Okay. And the, what Tashlumav Tashlumim means for the Chachamim is the food became truma. But we're going to now make you pay a second time. Okay. So what you gave him became truma whether you're Shogig or Mezid, but because you gave him Tameh and not Tahor, we're going to actually now make you pay a second time Chulun Tahorin. So the Chachamim find the guy, whether Shogig or Mezid, yeah, you with me? And Rabbi Meir only finds him in a case of Mezid, all right, that makes him pay a second time, or that's how we're going to read Rabbi Meir, when he says it didn't count, what he means is you have to pay a second time. So the Gemara says like this, Ravina so before we get to applying this to our case, we asked on this, Mezid am I I don't get it, says the Gemara. Even if you willingly gave him back Chulin Tmeyan, why does that not count? What's so terrible? Tavolav Bracha, which is a little extreme statement, but okay. Like he ate Truma Tmeya, which at the time he ate it was a cent, was almost worthless. Okay, and he couldn't, and the coin could not benefit from it when the coin was Tmeyan. The Kamishalim way, Midi Bechazi lady Midi When he gave him back Chulin, Chulin Tmey, the coin could eat when he was Tmey. Now, of course, the point is, fine. As he was paying him back, he was giving him Chulin Tmeyim. But from the moment it hit the coin's hand, it became Truma because in the act of giving it back, it became Truma So it's a funny idea of Katavo of Bracha, but what the Gemara is really just saying is, why is it so bad that he gave him back Chulin Tmeyim? At the end of the day, the coin got back what he what, what was taken from him. So why is it so terrible? And, and the sort of the it's even better in the sense that before it was given back, it was even better food. But okay, but a, anyway, at the end result, because it was Chulin Tmeyim, which is better than Truma but if at minimally at the end it was at least equivalent to what was taken from him. So why are we punishing this guy? So that we have to figure that out before we can analyze the Rebbe Meir Rebbe Huda issue. So because of that logical question, the Gemara rereads this Brighton, and here's what the Gemara says. Um, the Amar Rava, the Amulei Kadi, Rava say, and some say anonymously, was said, Yeah, this fight is crazy that, it, you, you, that you we're finding the guy for giving back Tame when all he ate was Tame. So we're going to have to reread this Brighton so it makes more sense. Here's how you have to read it. Achal Truma I'm a Shalin Koldehu. If you ate Tame Truma, then you can pay back anything. Not, not, not meaning anything, minimal value, but meaning you can pay back Tameh. You ate Tameh, you could pay back Tameh, sure. So it's, 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 it's amazing. The Gemara, because of a logical question, completely rereads the Brita, right? I mean, we've seen that before. Yeah, yeah. the Brita says, if, even though it's Tameh, you need to pay back Tahor, and if you do Tameh, we're going to fine you. And the says, that doesn't make sense. You just ate Tameh. Fine, let's reread the Brita. If you ate Tameh, you can pay back Tameh. That's fine. So what's the case of the Brita? Al-Achot Shumatahora. 
the case of the bright that we're going to say now is that you ate tahor truma. Now it's much more obvious why you do something wrong if you pay back tame. You ate tar and you're paying back tame. So in that case, you have to pay back tahor chulin because now you're giving the guy back something equivalent. If you gave back chulin tame, so now he's getting something worth a lot less. I should point out, by the way, that Tosa says, Rashi says, you only pay back the same quantity. So if it's chulin tmeim, then you're giving him back, then he's really losing out significantly financially in the, in the deal, right? Because truma tmeia is worth like a, a, a hundredth of truma tahora or something, okay? Where Tosa says, no, 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 no. The, the value has to be the same. So even though you'll wind up giving him a hundred times as much, so you say, what's the difference? It's still the same value, but it's sort of like the Gemara we said before by, you know, the Idis Karka and the Zibois Karka. Even if it's the same value, people would rather have, you know, the, the, the Truma Tahora, less Truma Tahora than more Truma Tmeya. So one way or the other, if you ate Truma Tahora, whether because of value or because of convenience, because of cost or because of convenience, you have to pay back Chulim Tahorin. What if you paid back Chulim Tmeyan? Okay, Shilim Chulim Tmeyan, where obviously now you're giving back something worse than what you ate. So in that case, Mahu, if it was accidental, it'll be okay. But the evidence is okay. It doesn't work. What we're going to say means that the payment actually was chal. It became truma what you gave him. That idea that when you pay back, it becomes truma. That is take effect. But we're going to make you pay a second time. So we're going to fine you in the case of mezid, not in the case of shogik. Whether shogik or mezid, the payment became truma. But, but we're going to fine you to pay it a second time from Chulin Tahor. So basically what it boils down to is that you, according to Rebbe Meir, he's fining the case of, Shog- of, of Mezid, and the Chachamim are fining even the case of Shogeg. Okay? Now how does that fit into our structure? So let's take a look. The Amar Ravachas, all that was just to start to, to get to, to now applying it to our case. So this is the debate. Do we find the guy who is Shogeg? Uh, even, we're going to find the guy who's amazing, who, who knows he shouldn't be paying this back, and he paid it back anyway. He we're going to find. Are we even going to find the guy who's Shogeg? So we mayor, so we might as well read the brackets. Lo Kansu Shogeg got to Kansu. Right? So the Chamim say you have to pay back even if you're Shogeg a second time. So the Gemara says, so what's the question? So the question is, why... Did Rebbe Yehuda, according to Rebbe, wait, wait, according to Rebbe Meir, okay, what, you, we did not find, mm-hmm. okay. But what the guy did wrong was not really like a Torah. I mean, when he ate truma, he shouldn't have eaten truma. That was a Torah violation. But paying back one type of truma as opposed to another, one type of chulin as opposed to another type of a chulin isn't like a Torah violation, okay. And we know that normally when you're not doing a Torah violation in your act, Rebbe Meir. Right when you, if it's only a drabanan, Rebbe Mayer does fine you if it's not a Torah violation. So here, why didn't Rebbe Mayer find the guy who was paying back the truma tmeya on the chulin tmeim? So the Gemara says, Hachi Hasha. Wait, what type of question is that? You're actually there trying to make good. You're paying back. So 
So we're not going to fine a guy if somebody damages somebody's property, Beshogeg. That's like a bad act that you did. You did a Beshogeg and it's only to Rabbanan or whatever and you're not going to be careful enough, we're going to fine you. So he finds a guy who does a Durabanan Beshogeg when the Durabanan was a bad act, something bad that the person, he, was, he damaged property. So we have to stop that behavior. So we're going to fine a guy. It's only Durabanan and people are going to be too lax. But this case, the guy's trying to make good. So okay, he did it in the wrong way. He paid back Tameh rather than Tahuar. We're not going to start fining people when they're actually trying to make good. Okay, He's trying to pay back. We're going to fine him? Yes, Charlie. Well, I paid back exactly what I stole. No, no, no. The Gemara, remember, we read the Brita so that you ate Chulin Trumatahora and you paid back Chulin Trumatahora. Right. But even so, says the Gemara, you're still trying to make good, so you did it wrong and you were a little sloppy about it. But we're not going to fine you in that case. Okay, Tashma, let's hear another case. So you violated Shabbos with a rabbinic violation. You took Trumas and Meisters on Shabbos. That's a rabbinic violation of Shabbos. So the Lacha is, the Shogeg you can benefit from it, and Mezid you can't. And we're assuming that that's Rebbe Meir. So here's the problem. That again, that's a rabbinic violation, so Rebbe Meir should find the guy. But if he did a rabbinic violation, right, he took Meisr on Shabbos, why is he not finding the guy? So it says, wait, what type of comparison is that? It's true he violated Shabbos rabbinically. But the act was fundamentally trying to do something good. He was like doing a mitzvah. He was separating Trumas and Maestras. So it would be like very, you know, counter policy interests to find a guy who like is trying to do the right thing. Okay? All right. Tashma, come in here. Hamat be a similar case where you violated Shabbos but you're in the middle of doing a mitzvah. Hamat be a Shabbos. You're immersing your vessels in a mikvah which you're not allowed to do on Shabbos and that's rabbinic. Okay? B'shogeg yishamish ben b'mezid lo yishamish ben. If it's accidentally though you can use them because we don't fine you. If it's intentionally we don't allow you to use them. You're not allowed to use a, cl- a vessel that has not been uh, dumped into the mikvah. So the Gemara says why didn't we fine you in the case of shogeg? It was a rabbinic violation according to Rebbe Meir. We're supposed to fine people who do rabbinic violations. So the Gemara says, no. Hachi hasha. How can you make the comparison? Hasam gavalit to mani kamachanin. He's trying to purify his vessels. Anan lekum say We're going to go ahead and fine him? Okay. So basically, even the Rebbe Meir fines people beshogig by Durabonans, that's when fundamentally the act is a bad act. If the act is fundamentally a misact, even if it involved a violation, of a rabbinic violation, it's, you know, if he's fundamentally trying to pay back and make good, we're not going to impl- impl- uh, apply fines. Okay, Rami Drebuda Drebuda Bedurabanan. So now we're going to shift our focus to Rebuda. Yes. Did you cover the case of the blood of the sacrificial offering? Oh, I didn't. You're right. Let's go back. Oh, thank you for catching me. Okay, we're going to double back. Thank you. Um, Tashma. So it's actually two lines after the parentheses, about ten lines from the bottom. Thank you for catching that. Tashma Dam Shenitma Vizarko. So Dam became Tamei and of a korban, and it was thrown on the mizbeach. It was put on the mizbeach. Now the halacha is that even if that was done benazid, the korban is still good because there's a principle that the tzitz is maratza. The tzitz that the coin goes wears on his forehead uh, allows that even blood that is Tamei that was put on the Mizbeach still is Mechaper even B'meizid so that's the Halacha is that it will work even B'meizid but now we're going to deal with the Durabanan B'shogeg Hurtza if it was done accidentally 
then we'll say the korban was good. The main is it if it was done willfully, low, you know, a willful violation, low words, it doesn't count. Now, of course, the point is one minute. Who are we fining? The Kohen is the one doing the Avera, putting the blood on the Mizpeach, and we're saying that the Bailim's korban wasn't good, so Rashi says, no, no, no. The Bailim, for the, the, the owners were Yotze, the Chi of korban. When we're saying the blood didn't work, in this case, if it was willful, it means you don't get to eat the meat. Uh-huh. And most korbanot, the meat is eaten by the Kohanim. Right? Shlomim, it's by the owners, but most Kabbalah eaten by the Kohanim. So the Kohanim threw the blood. They knew they weren't supposed to. It was mazed. It was Tameh. And therefore we say you don't get to eat the meat. Okay? Okay, fine. But now the point is that why don't we say that throwing the blood is actually an amazing idea. Throwing the blood when it's Tameh since the sits allows for it to work Raji says there would not be a Torah violation to, th- to put the blood on the altar when it's Tameh since the Tzitz says the presence of the Tzitz says that this blood can be Mechaper even though it's Tameh you're actually allowed from a Torah perspective to do it so doing this is a rabbinic violation so if it's a rabbinic violation why did Rebbe Meir not fine even in the case of Shogeg right because again we're assuming Rebbe Meir finds Shogeg in a case of rabbinic violation so this is blood is Tameh blood it's a rabbinic violation to put it on the Mizbeach. Why do we let you get away with it, Bashogain? So the Gemara says, same thing. Um, well, same thing that we've been seeing. What type of comparison is that? There you're trying to atone and do a mitzvah and so on. So, on a naked benikna say, okay, so you made a mistake and you were sloppy and you didn't realize that the blood was Tameh. We're not going to start fining people when they're involved in, you know, this type of. Kohanim now have to worry that simple mistakes that they make when they're doing the avoda, you know, it's they're going to find them. Like that's not good policy to be to be uh, you know to be applying fines to people that are trying to do mitzvot and the avoda and so on. Okay, and then similarly, the Gemara said the similar answer by the case about taking meiser and Shabbos and being tovo kelim on Shabbos. Yes, those were shogeg violations of Durabanan, and we sh- according to Rabbi Meir, the logic normally is we do fine, but not in the time when somebody is doing a mitzvah. Okay, thank you for catching that. Rami the last line of Nundalit. See, I'm so eager to catch up. Rami but we're doing a pretty good job. Rami Now, Rabbi Yehuda, we said, by Durabanans, says, we don't make a fine in the case of Shogeg. I'm going to show you some cases where it seems like Rabbi Yehuda does make a fine by Durabanans in the case of Shogeg. Titania, we turn to Bryceau. Naflu, top of Nandala and Amadbet, get to turn the page. Naflu nitpatsu. Echad b'shogeg vechad mezid lo yalu dirameh. You have certain nuts which are considered to be a davar chashuv. They're considered to be like important, you know, and therefore, because each one is like a, a precious thing, it's not batel if it gets mixed up. So you have a nut that's orlo, let's say, and can't be eaten, and it gets mixed up with a hundred similar nuts, but because we're dealing with a particular type of nut, okay, the Gemara talks about a particular type of almonds or whatever that are very valuable or that are, you know, have a lot of significance, so even if it's mixed up with a thousand, it's not batel. Normally say something is batel, the rove or the sixty here it's not bottle even in a thousand because it's considered a davar chashuv. Now what happens if it gets cracked and it gets mixed up and it's all cracked? Well then it loses its chashivas, it loses its importance. Okay, and in that case it does become bottle. So here you have you've got your nuts that are all mixed up and one of them is Arla and it's all you can't eat any of it. Then whoops 
accidentally they all get crushed and now it's all okay. Okay? So, you're right, that's a problem called aim of lechatchila. You're not allowed to intentionally do something that creates pitto. Okay, what say it happened? So the first opinion is whether it is shogeg or mazid, you, you know, you are, they're, they're, it's not going to be batel. So that's Rebbe Mayer. So Rebbe Mayer, let's remember what Rebbe Mayer says. This is a Durabanan problem, right? It's a Durabanan problem. You can't be mevatel iser lechatchila. By the way, the only reason, it, also reason it's a Durabanan problem is because only rabbinically do we say that this isn't batel. The right that this is batel. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this whole thing is a rabbinic problem and you violated it. Bishogeg. So Rebbe Mayer is going to say we're, we're going to fine you. So Rebbe Mayer is consistent. Okay, it's defining you in a case of a Durabanan violation. But here's the problem. Rebbe Mayer, they're Rebbe Yehuda. Rebbe Yehuda joined Rebbe Mayer's team here. So what is Rebbe Yehuda doing joining Rebbe Mayer's team? This is a Durabanan, and Rebbe Yehuda should say, we do not, we do not find you by a Durabanan. So we're going to have to see. They say no. By, by Shogeg, we don't find, we only find by Mezid. Okay, so now the question is, what's Rebbe Yehuda doing switching sides? The Ha'acha here, to be Dereis Achad betrayed Batel, biblically speaking, one, something is Batel in two, like two against one, even if it's like not, a, if it doesn't give off taste, if it's like solids and solids. For Rabbanan Hudagazer, and the rabbis just say that something that's Chashuv isn't Batel, um, the Karkani is Rebbe Yehuda, and here Rebbe Yehuda, you violated this Durabanan, like the whole problem was rabbinic to begin with, and being Mevato Ister is a Durabanan problem, although the Gemara doesn't say that. So the whole thing is rabbinic, so why is Rebbe Yehuda making a fine? Rebbe Yehuda usually doesn't fine by Durabanans. So the Gemara says, no. Hazem Hainu time with Rebbe Yehuda, this is the reason Rebbe Yehuda, Mishim Da'ati La'ume, because you're going you're gonna to scheme, you're going to say it was an accident, like sort of I said, like, whoops, Accidentally, now of course you could say that's true in all these cases. How can you ever make a distinction between the, uh, between Mazid and Shogeg if you allow the Shogeg guy off? He's going to claim he'll do the Mazid. He's going to claim he was a Shogeg. But the difference is that all those other cases, there's very little incentive to be doing it. Like okay, if you're a Russian, you want to hurt somebody's property, you're going to do the Mazid and say you were Shogeg. Okay, but there's very little incentive to be doing those types of things here. All of your nuts are going to go to waste. All you have to do is accidentally get them crushed and you'll be okay. So there's a very strong temptation in this case. So because this case is a strong temptation to do it, to amaze it, and to claim it's an accident, we want to close off that avenue. So here's a case that Rebbe Huda would agree. Alright, so now one more case. Um, now we've introduced a, another person, Reb Yossi. Right? Reb Yossi and Reb Shimon said, we do it, Beshogeg, it's okay. So here it's a Durabanan. There's a possible, you know, sort of like, you know, whoops type of a roommate. And nevertheless, Reb Yossi says, we're not going to find the case of Shogeg. Okay? So now let's compare that to another case of Reb Yossi. Did not. Nitiyo show orla, but show kilaya kerem. You have one planting, one shoot of orla or of kilayim that got mixed up with all your other like plantings. Okay, and the problem now is is that it's not batel and you can't benefit from anything. Now, once you pick the fruit from the tree, the one the reason it's not batel is also because it's mechuber lekarka and that gives it significance and it can't lose its identity. But once you pick the fruit off of the vine and the fruit gets mixed up, the fruit will be batel. 
Okay? So picking the fruit is sort of like crushing the nuts. It's allowing the bittel to take effect. Okay? You're not allowed to pick the fruit. If you did, then it's bottle 1 in 200 because that's the halach of oral. It's 1 in 200. As long as you don't pick with the intention, not you don't pick without intending to pick, but you don't pick with the intention of making it bottle. Even if you were mazed, it could be bought out. So here it's crazy. I mean, that's crazy. But Rabbi Yossi is very lenient. In the case of the whoops by the nuts, okay, he says, I'm not going to fine you in a case of shogig, but I will in a case of mazed. Here, in the case of the shoot of the orla that gets mixed up, he even says, even in the case of mazed, I'm not going to fine you. And the thing will be bought out. So what's going on there? So... Um, so the Gemara says, No, a person normally will not make his vineyard forbidden with one planting. Now what does that mean? Of course, you're not intentionally going to plant it. So what does that mean? So if you look at Rashi, Rashi says, um, where's Rashi? Uh, like right a little under the Mishnah, he says, Nobody normally would ever have done that planting without have trying to take it a precaution. Right? Why would you be so stupid to have planted the Orla thing without having taken some precaution? Okay, so basically it means like this whole scenario that you accidentally got an Orla tree planted among your other trees or a, you know, an oil of vine planted among your oil of vines, it's like, never should happen. No, you know, nobody would be stupid enough to do that. People would take precautions. So if it happened once in a blue moon, we're not going to find the outcomes of that. Okay, whereas things getting mixed up, nuts getting mixed up, that's a more common scenario, and therefore, at least we have to find in the case of shogeg, okay? So a whole range of different concerns about when do we find by shogeg, when do we not find by shogeg, and one scenario at the very end where even in the case of Maisie we don't find but fundamentally the battleground is when do we find by Shogin when not and sometimes the positions are like diametrically opposed great we got that done let's start the next case Okay, so this is, we quoted this earlier, and some actually have the Girsa in the Mishnah Shogagim Peturim, but anyway, it's implied. So Kohen does Pigo, he shechs the Korban, or he throws the blood, and he has it in his mind to eat it at the wrong time. Okay, in that case, the halacha is, if he does it willfully, then he is Chayev, he has to pay the owners, because he ruined the owner's Korban. And if he does it accidentally, he does it, so it's another example of Hezek Sheno Nikar, right? And and there, and there we, and, and he's going to have to pay. Now the Gemara switches because we've already analyzed Hezek Shenoni Kar, so it's going to switch from the question of damages to the question of do we trust somebody when they say something happened? There's no evidence that it happened. I'm coming and I'm telling you, guess what? I put, I put, I put a sheretz on your truma. Okay, <laughs> I'm a Kohen and I went that night, checked your thing with a thought of people. So there's one question: Do I have to pay? But there's another question: of Why? Why should you believe me? Okay, maybe you're lying. All right, so let's take a look. Turn to Rabbanan. 
Hayaosa imo betaros. You were deal, you were working with somebody, you know, and you were tahor, and you want and you had to keep everything tahor. Maybe it was truma. Maybe the person wanted to eat his chulin that was tahor, but that was we were very careful to be keeping everything tahor. Ramalo, and then you said to the guy you were working with, you were like he was hiring you to help him out in his field there, whatever he was doing, you know, preparing washing his fruit, who knows what. And you said to him, um, You know what? I want to tell you that uh, the stuff we're working on it became tame. Okay. Okay, or you were a kohen and you were doing a korban for somebody. The korban I was bringing for you became pigo. Nema, your beliefs. This is not a question of tashlumim. Your beliefs to say that that happened, and now the thing is also okay. Um, but if you say to him, you know, remember three days ago when we were doing that stuff and working on your apples? I forgot to tell you, the stuff, it became Tameh. Oh, that Corbin I brought for you three days ago, it became Pigo. So I tell it to you about something that happened in the past. In that case, and you're not believed. So they want to ask the obvious question. What difference does it make? Either you're believed or not. So two very different interpretations. Amar Baye, Koshabiyado Naman. Abaye says, the reason you're believed when you're saying it happened now is because right now you're in the middle of working on the Taharos. Or you're in the middle of bringing the Korban. Rashi says the scenario is the Kohen shechted the Korban, but he didn't yet throw the blood. So the basic point is it's sort of like a Migo. Like, if I were lying then I could just do it right now if I wanted to do it. I could make this stuff tummy right now. I could make this stuff people right now. So since I have the ability to do it, that gives me a special believability. It's a, you know, a special sense of like, of like, I'm like, in a way, almost like the owner of this. You know, like, because I could control its fate, so therefore I'm believed about it. Okay, that's what Rabbi says. According to Rabbi, it would only be true if you were mamish still in the middle of dealing with it. All right? Rabbi Amr, Rebbe says it doesn't have to be biyado. Here's the the reason is you waited too long. Okay, in the second case, because since like what if you say to me, oh by the way, the korban I did for you three days ago became pigo. What would my first reaction to you be? Why didn't you tell me then? Oh, by the way, you know. And by the way, right. By the way, the stuff we were working on, you know, on Tuesday, uh, it didn't. It became tough. Why didn't you tell me we were working all together Tuesday? Why did you wait till now? So the fact that you waited, right, makes the claim suspicious. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't have to be mamish biyado. So if I came back after doing the korban and it's all fully brought and I imported you, or I was working in the field and I came back at the end of the day and I reported it to you, I would be believed, even though it's no longer. The problem is that I waited too long and it under and it creates suspicion about the veracity of what I'm saying. You found him below Amrle below Median. You didn't say anything. And then on a later day you you bumped into him, the Amrle, and you said to him, and therefore you're not believed. Let's read one case. A person said to his friend, You know that those towers we were working on on Tuesday, they became Tamei. The halacha is, He's not believed because he, he said it happened a few days ago. I'm a little fun of Rabbi Yassi. Rabbi Yassi said to Rabbi Ami, Rabbi, Ata Omer came. It's so easy to be, really? Rabbi, you say this with the way Rashi says, Rabbi, that's your position. But Hachi Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Mishum Rabbi Yossi. Here's, here's what Rabbi Yochanan says in the name of Rabbi Yossi. Ma'asesh, Shatara Heminasa. No, even if he says it happened on Tuesday, you're believed. The Torah believed him. 
So why did, where do we see that the Torah believed him? Okay, the Torah says, Heichan, HaTorah, Heminaso, Amrib Yitzchak, Barbisna, Kohen Gadol, Yom Kippur, and Yochiyach. Here's where the Koran Torah believes. The Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur. The Chiyam, right, he's in the base of Mikdash all by himself. Let's say he were to come out and say that something bad happened with the Korban. Presumably we'd believe him. I don't know how. Maybe we wouldn't believe him. But he's presuming we would believe. Okay? The Chiyam are Pigul, Mehemin. Okay, if he were to come out and say it was Pigul, we'd believe him. So that would have happened after the fact. Nobody else would have been around and we would believe him. So the Gemara says, now, Umina Yadinan, where do we know that? Faxiv, Koladam, Lo Yeba Omoed. Because nobody else can be there. Elulav, Mishum Dehemin. It must be that he's believed. So you see, even after the fact, he's believed. So the Gemara says, Maybe we heard him. Maybe we were outside of the Heichal. We were in the Azara. And we hear the coin say, um, you know, I can't wait to eat this stuff on, you know, to be, to, to be Zorik, this whatever for, you know, two days from now. So in that case, the Gemara says, you love the Mehemin, Afagav, um, Afagav, the no, if he weren't believed, then even if we heard his voice coming out from in there, we wouldn't believe him. Why not? Because the uh, Because maybe, let's say he was saying, "Wow, I'm shechting this animal. I'm shechting. I'm, you know, I'm carrying the blood with the intention of throwing the blood tomorrow." So when did he say that? Who knows that he said that when he was carrying the blood? Maybe he was saying that after he threw the blood and he was just trying to deceive all of us. So obviously, we don't really have direct knowledge about what happened. And therefore, it must be that he's believed. So the Gemara says, one minute, there's still another explanation. The Gilma, the Chazine, the Pishpesh, maybe we saw him through one of those little, uh, you know, like peepholes, that they had peepholes into the Azaran, into the Kaddish Kaddash, I mean, into the Heichal, into the Kaddish Kaddashim. So how do you know? Even though nobody was with him, maybe we still could have been spying on him. We had our video cameras up there. So the Gemara says, Kasha. Okay, fine, it's not an absolute proof. So that was an interesting proof from the Torah. But the one thing I do want to say is, the case of the Kohen Gadol, is not the case where he had a chance to tell us later on that maybe he told us immediately when he exited so this case when the guy said oh three days ago it became a problem right that could be that that's consistent with Rava could be it was a case where this was the first opportunity to report right according to Rava you are believed to say it happened in the past as long as there was not an opportunity to, a reasonable opportunity to have said that earlier it's only a problem when you should have said it earlier and the fact that you didn't makes your, cur- makes your current claim a suspicion one. Okay. What? They have made another sacrifice. Yeah, they would have to bring another sacrifice. Okay, so we will end here. Yeah, we keep going. We, you want? <laughs> I think you're done. All right, well, fine. Fine, let's go. We'll, go, we'll try to get to the Mishnah. Yeah. All right, excellent. Um, okay. Somebody came to Rebiyami. Amalei, Sefer Torah, Shekasafti, Liploni, Askars Chalolok, Saftim Lishma. A Sefer Torah I wrote for a certain person. I have to be honest with you. I didn't write the Shem Hashem. I didn't have the Kavana. Okay? So now this is no longer Biyado. Now, Rebiyami, if you'll remember, said in the case when the guy said, oh, it happened on Tuesday, whatever, remember that? He said, Rebiyami said, you know, you're not believed. Okay? And that seemed to be even, you know, regardless of whether you did or did not have an opportunity to tell him earlier. It seems that Rabbi Ami was of the position that anything that it's not right now biyado, like a baye, anything that's in the past, you're not believed about. Okay, so here's what he's going to say. Um, Amalei, say for Torah biyadmi. 
who's holding on to the Sefer Torah? That's the question of Biado, who has control over it, right? Amalei Biad Lokeach. Oh, I already gave it back to the purchaser. So Amalei so if you're admitting that you made a puzzle, you're basically saying you didn't do your job, so now you're believed to say that you won't get paid. But you're not believed to puzzle the Sefer Torah. Now that's a little bit bizarre, because you could say one minute. Since the guy is not going to believe me about the Sefer Torah, and he's going to use it, and it's going to have the status of a kosher Sefer Torah, right? So it's going to have a status of a kosher Sefer Torah, why can't I get paid for it? I gave him a kosher Sefer Torah. So, <laughs> it's a little funny. Like, you know, yeah, uh, anyway, fine. But that's, that's, that was his psak. Okay, but what we see is the issue was biado. It wasn't in his control. Once it wasn't in his control, he wasn't believed. But to hurt himself financially, you know, that you're, 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 you are believed to, in, to, to make claims against yourself, your own financial interests. Okay. Um, I'm a lay. said to him, Fine, he shouldn't get paid for writing Shem Hashem because he did that incorrectly according to his own testimony. But why shouldn't he get paid for writing the rest of the Sefer Torah? So he just loses the amount of time it took to write the Shem Hashems, you know? So on the leg, he said back to him, in, yes, Shekol Sefer Torah Sheinas Koshalok Saftiksuvasli Shman Eina Shavaklum. Yeah, because if you don't have Shem Hashem written correctly, you can't rewrite Shem Hashem. What are you going to do? Erase Shem Hashem? Right? So there's no way to fix it. So since there's no way to fix it, it's not worth anything. All right? So the Gemara says, one minute says the Gemara, you can't erase Shem Hashem, but why not just re-ink Shem Hashem? Won't that work? So the Gemara says, come on. Now that suggestion, who's that going like? Name of the local Rebbe No, I mean, or why, if you couldn't do that, why couldn't you do that? Name of the local Rebbe Yehuda. Let's say it's not like Rebbe Yehuda. Nan. You had to write Shem Hashem in the Sefer Torah, let's say. And you had in mind to write Yehuda. Okay, so you had the wrong thing in mind, but then accidentally you write the right thing. The You didn't have the Dalid, and you wound up writing Shem Hashem. So basically you wrote Shem Hashem without intending to write Shem Hashem. Okay, how do you fix it? So Rabbi says you could just re-ink it. No, you can't because that's a, that's a not respectful for Shem Hashem. Okay? So what you see is, so why did you feel the whole Sefer Torah was puzzle? According to Rabbi Yehuda, there's a way to fix it. Just re-ink it. Are you, is your position against Rabbi Yehuda? So the Gemara says, no. In this case, even Rabbi Yehuda would agree there's no way to fix it. Why not? He allows it by one Shem Hashem. But the Kulei Sefer Torah to have to re-ink all the Shem Hashems in the Sefer Torah, lo. It's not good. It looks spotted. Meaning the fact that, you know, every Shem Hashem is a re-inked, the Sefer Torah does not look like it's a consistent type of Aksav. And therefore, that's not appropriate. And therefore, whether that's, is that a Dorais Apsul of a Sefer Torah, or a Rabban Apsul, but either way, according to your claim, you gave him a Sefer Torah that was effectively worthless. Yet, ironically, although now he's going to go ahead and use it. But according to your claim, you don't deserve to get paid. So, so he can use it according to this. It's very bizarre. He can use it, but you don't get paid. Okay? Um, now, who also come to Rabbi Avo? Somebody came to Rabbi Avo. The klafim, I did not sort of tan the klafim with, with the right kavan of Sefer Torah, and therefore they can't be used. And the whole Sefer Torah is puzzle. Who's holding on to the Sefer Torah right now? The purchaser. Now, we were expecting to say, you might lose your, your fee, but because you can no longer control the fate of the Sefer Torah, it's not the yado, the Sefer 
Sefer Torah is still good. Right? Let's see what, that's what we said before. Let's see what he says. Since your claim will mean that you'll lose your fee, so if you're willing to so much come forth and be honest, it's like amigo, it makes a lot of sense, just as circumstantial evidence, right? It might not be biyado, but give me a break. Why would this guy lie about it? He's going to lose his whole fee. So if you're going to tell this, and we know that the consequence is you'll lose your fee, obviously you're telling the truth and you'll be believed to possible to say for Torah. Okay? Yeah, but this was a Rebbe Avod. This was a different ruling. Right. Now, the Gemara could have said it's a debate, but the Gemara is going to try to reconcile the two cases. Okay? You could have just said it's a debate, but let's see what the answer is. In the first case, it's even a less uh, provable. Right. You know, that he, that he didn't do something with intention. This was also he didn't do it with intention. He, no, he did Ibud. He just didn't do it Lishma. Oh. It was the same Lishma problem. So the Gemara says, now the Gemara wants to say that they're reconcilable. So let's take a look. How is it different than Rebbe Ami? Why by Rebbe Ami did we split the, we said, you lose your fee and you're not believed? So the Gemara says, No, because there, you could have said that he was making a mistake with the case of Rebbe Yirmiya. What does it mean? Um, because maybe he, because Rebbe Yirmiya said, let him just lose the fee for Shem Hashem. So, maybe you figured, look, it's the best of both worlds. I'll make this guy not lose out his whole Sefer Torah, and all I have to lose out is being paid for the writing of the Shem Hashem, but I'm still going to get 95% of my fee. So there, he might have thought he was basically going to still get paid. He was only going to lose out the fee for writing Shem Hashem. So therefore, you don't have that basic believability. Okay? But since he knows that the whole Sefer Torah is puzzle, every single class is puzzle, so the whole Sefer Torah is puzzle. So he knows he's going to where he'll lose all of his schar, all of his fee, and he's still nevertheless coming forth and saying, so clearly we have to presume that he is telling the truth. Okay, so clearly here, even if for technical reasons it's not biyado, all of, circumstantially he clearly is telling the truth. Excellent. And now we are caught up.